Father, we come before you and we desire to sit at your feet to learn from you. And we know that this can only happen by the instruction that is delivered to us through your word and the understanding which is delivered to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would be open and receptive to your word for our flesh is never open and receptive. But help us, Lord, to apprehend this message, to make it part of us, that we may walk in your ways and be witnesses of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week I was dealing with reconciliation and forgiveness, and I was not able to finish that. And so I'm going to pick that back up, just review a little bit what we talked about, and then go on and, and finish how we're supposed to deal with that. What, what are we supposed to do as the end road or the end of the reconciliation and forgiveness? Because as I stated last week, most of the time people do not desire to be fully reconciled or to have full biblical forgiveness because normally it is somewhat confrontational. It doesn't have to be, but it seems like the emotions run high and therefore it is very difficult to get in just a nice, lucid, clear conversation about whatever issue is at the doorstep causing so much angst and anxiety. And so this idea of reconciliation, we got that from chapter 5 of Matthew and verse 23. The scripture there was, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. So it's giving us instruction in this passage that we are not even to engage in acts of worship until we have reconciled, given to someone forgiveness, or received forgiveness from someone, that we know that there's an issue between us. On a scale from 1 to 10, this idea of reconciliation and forgiveness, if you were to put that in God's camp, so to speak, where would God rate it between 1 and 10? He would rate it at 10. It is so important, as I just read, we're not to worship before we handle reconciliation and forgiveness. And also, he says, you are not allowed to remain in the church if you walk in a spirit of unforgiveness. And that's in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, you should probably turn there, and you should probably make a note. Matthew chapter 5 is for the offender, and Matthew chapter 18 is for the offendee. And as I stated last week, both people the one who got offended and the one who brought the offense are responsible for going to the other. It isn't like, you offended me, so you need to come to me. Or, no, I didn't offend you. This going back and forth is bickering. God says, both of you. It's kind of like a father to a child. Both of you just knock it off, you know, type of thing. But he would say, both of you just kiss and make up. My mom used to do that with my brothers and I. And she'd go, all right, you boys, just knock it off. Just kiss and make up. And one time we actually did. It was the worst thing I'd ever done in my life. But anyhow, uh, it's kind of like that. God wants us both to get together, if you're the offender or the offendee, 
and make sure reconciliation and forgiveness takes place. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Remember I stopped here last week? I want to make sure I put emphasis on this. There is to be no intercession with anybody else stepping in and making this happen. Now you might say something like, you need to go talk to this person. Leave it at that. If someone wants to come to you and explain to you, do you know what this person did? We are supposed to zip it. And if you say, well, I just want to seek some counsel. Here's the counsel. Go and talk to the person. And we don't want to do that. We want to make sure a lot of times, all of us, I include myself in this, we want to make sure it's going to turn out in our favor. So we go out and we get some counsel and we say, well, how should I say this or say that? The whole point is we are broken individuals and God wants us to interact with each other even in our brokenness. That's part of bringing us to maturity. But if we go and we seek counsel to this, the counsel is already delivered. If somebody has offended you, go talk to them. And in Matthew chapter 5, if you know if someone has something against you, go talk to them. Don't be talking to other people about this because it will taint in their eyes the individual you have a disagreement with. And that's never good. You were never to paint somebody else that is not able to defend their position or their stance. You're not to talk about them in a negative light to anyone else at any time. That is simply gossip or murmuring, whatever you want to call it. And God says, don't do it. It's the two individuals, if they are offended or one knows that the other is offended, they are supposed to go. There shouldn't be a third party getting involved in this. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. In other words, you go tell your brother, you say, hey, you've offended me, you've sinned against me, and he listens to you and he says, oh, will you forgive me? I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to do any of that. Then you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And of course, this is between those inside the church, brother to brother. What about those outside the church? The same standard applies. If there's somebody outside the church, we're to go to them. If we know they have something against us, we're to go to them. If they have sinned against us, we're to go to them. The same thing applies here, but in the context, it's brother to brother. If he refuses to listen to them, referring to the two or three witnesses that come from the church, now these would be elders, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, really, wrap your mind around this. Two people are having a disagreement in the church. One person goes to them individually, and the offense is just so great that the person cannot rest. So they go to them, and they talk to them. And the person says, I didn't do anything to you. You made it up in your own mind. What do you think you're doing here? Just go away. Then the person is to get two people or three people from the church, elders, And they're supposed to go have a powwow, sit down and talk. And once the conversation takes place, if the person actually did commit the offense and the person says, forget it, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying, will you forgive me or anything like that? I I didn't do anything wrong. It's this person's perception. And the two or three witnesses, along with the person who's offended, they all agree. No, dude, you blew it. 
You, you need to correct this. I mean, this is a tremendous violation here. And the guy still says, I ain't doing it. You're supposed to tell the whole church. I'm supposed to stand here if this is the case and go, guess what? So-and-so, Cleophas, Cleophas over there offended Saucerpater. And Saucerpater is completely offended. So Cleophas and Saucerpater are at odds. Would you please, as the church, go talk to Cleophas and make sure Cleophas repents and says they're sorry and asks for forgiveness from Saucerpater. Will you please make sure that happens? So that's what's supposed to take place. I'm supposed to tell you, you guys go and encourage him to repent. And if he doesn't listen, if all you, if he starts saying, get out of my face, I'm never going back to that church, just forget it. You know, I don't want anything to do. Then the church is supposed to say, by judicial decree, you are banished from this church. You are kicked out. Now, how important does God consider forgiveness? You cannot worship and you cannot attend church if you don't and I don't deal with forgiveness. That's how important it is. We can be banished because of it. Has that ever happened? Not that I know of. Uh, Not in this church it hasn't happened. But has it ever happened? Boy, this is tough. Imagine me coming to you and telling you about Cleopas and you say, wow, Why is the pastor saying that? Well, it's right here in Matthew chapter 18. I'm supposed to tell you this, and you're supposed to encourage him to repent. But of course, as I said before, there is going to be those who are unwilling, and when this takes place, something like this, most of the time we will be unsuccessful. And we are unsuccessful because of pride, hard hearts, might be too painful There might be just a misunderstanding, might be just simply too difficult. And people don't want to deal with these hard issues. They just say, I'm done. And they go away. Now, if you remember last week, I was talking about Yodia and Sintichi and how they were supposed to encourage Onesimus was, not Onesimus, um, Loyal Yelkfellow was supposed to encourage them to get together in the church. These two women inside one church. Well, back then, you had one church. One church in one city. You couldn't just say, I'm going to another church. Uh, Really? You're going to go to the next city, which is 60 miles away? You're going to walk there every Sunday and worship? You couldn't do that. Today, how many churches are within two square miles of this church? I mean, you could just go wherever you wanted to. And so, therefore, we don't have to deal with the issue if we don't want to. We'll just go to another church and gossip about the person, gossip about the person, and, and just say this, that, or the other thing and get banned from Facebook. And you know how the, sewing, the saying goes. So there are going to be those who are unwilling. There are going to be times where this is unsuccessful. We live in a fallen world where we try to make amends and the amends can't be made. Now, what do we do with that? I will get it to that. At the end of the message here. So according to the Bible, reconciliation and forgiveness, what do they look like? And I talked to you about reconciliation. It is to affect a change in the mind of the other person, to to turn them favorably towards you, like there is a misunderstanding, please forgive me. It is also to come to an agreement, like we're walking together. Can two walk together unless they be in agreement? No, they can't. And so we want to be in agreement. And then also fellowship, like-mindedness, or unity. We want to be unified in what we believe, what we think. As far as forgiveness and being extended is concerned, we want to make sure that we are always on that road. 
Jesus's prayer for us in John chapter 17, verse 23 was, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so we are supposed to be unified in the things of Christ. Now, what does biblical forgiveness look like? Now, remember last week I told you about this doctor from UCLA, Dr. Stephen Marmer, and he gave three versions of what worldly forgiveness looks like. The first one is exoneration. Exoneration is where somebody sins against you, you meet together with the person, you say, you know, you sinned against me, and the person says, well, will you forgive me? I had no idea that I had done such a thing. And the complete lines of communication and fellowship and relationship, they're all completely restored. The issue is never brought back up again, and you walk in the newness of a strengthened relationship because you've gone through the difficulty together. That's what makes a relationship strong, is going through the difficult, hard times together. That's why marriages, good marriages, take decades. You can't go through or get a good marriage just by saying you want to. You have to go through the trials of being married in order to have a good marriage. So there's the exoneration in the reconciliation, and there's the forbearance or restraint. This is where the person comes forward and says, I'm sorry, but you made me do it. I'm sorry, but if you hadn't have done this, then I wouldn't have fallen into this trap of making you angry and sinning against you. It's kind of half-hearted, and you walk away thinking to yourself, I can never fully trust this person. I'm always going to be cautious in this relationship. And by the way, that is not forgiveness. This is the world's idea of it, that you just exist. You exist in this mode of, well, you know, I tolerate them. I'm being forbearing against them. That's not forgiveness. That is just being forbearing. It's a different thing. It's being tolerant. Do you have a family member that you're tolerant of? Like, oh, Uncle, maybe it's Saucipater. Uncle Saucipater is coming over. And, and you say to yourself, oh, we're going to walk on eggshells with him. You don't want to say anything to really offend him because you know how he gets. and We're just going to tolerate him. Do you have somebody in the church like that, a brother or a sister? You're just going to tolerate them a little bit, and they haven't really reconciled with what they're supposed to reconcile with. And it's just a problem. It's not forgiveness to do that. Then the third thing that he talked about was release. And release is where you just simply say, oh, I forgive him. And there's no relationship back and forth. Remember, the goal of forgiveness is the restoration of relationship. Full restoration of relationship. Forgiveness is not about personal comfort, making us feel better. And that is the way of the world. The world wants us to always feel better. Be happy. Isn't there a song like that? Be happy. I'm happy. You know, so you're supposed to walk away always being happy. And if you're not happy, here, take this pill. And this pill will make you happy and you just take this pill all the time and and that's the world's way of doing it where you look at christ would you say christ was happy well he was certainly full of joy because he's doing the father's will but was he happy or does the bible say he was a man of sorrows familiar with suffering was he tired all the time he was tired all the time what about his disciples? Did they bring him a lot of pressure? 
or pleasure? Or did he say, hey, you guys, you just don't get it all the time. I'm trying to explain this to you. What do you mean? We didn't bring any bread? Did you bring the bread? No, we didn't bring the bread. And he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees. They didn't have the understanding. And he's God, and he's frustrated with us. You know, frustrated in a sense of relationship. And so this idea that we don't work through the relationship, we don't take the difficult road to make sure it's done right, just like Jesus did. His road was so difficult, he died for it. But we want to just be sane. Now, it's without a doubt, it's difficult if there's this idea of unforgiveness to not be tormented by it. It's just there. But I'll expand a little bit more on that in a moment. So those are the three things that the world says. And what about biblical forgiveness? What does it look like? Forgiveness is unattainable to those who will not forgive. And I gave you Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And that passage says, But if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The implied intent in the text is, If you do not forgive men when they sin against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Mark, going back to Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So if you do not extend forgiveness when asked, then there is not going to be forgiveness extended to you when you request it. That's what we know. Forgiveness is unattainable to those who will not forgive. Secondly, we must forgive as Jesus forgave. Colossians 3, 13 and 14, and Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I'll read Colossians 3, 13 and 14. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you must or you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That part should be underlined there. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're to forgive as Jesus forgives us. How does Jesus forgive us? We go to him and say, will you forgive me? That's what we're supposed to do. And he says, yes, I will forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we ask for it. First John 1, 9. So forgiveness, God's forgiveness, is conditional. Now, some people say God's forgiveness is unconditional. No, it's conditional. It is free, but it is conditional. He gives it to us. He offers it to us. He says, here, take this, but it's conditional on us apprehending the gift, grabbing it and making it ours. It is also conditional on saying, yes, I want the gift, which means At that point, we agree with him that we need salvation from our sins because we are sinners. That is the act of repentance. That's the change of mind. And so we are to forgive as Jesus forgave. So God's forgiveness is conditional. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, read like this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents forgive him if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times a day comes back to you and says i repent forgive him how many times was the conditional clause in there if he repents forgive him twice it was in there jesus wanted to make sure the emphasis was put on this particular passage if he repents then forgive him john first john 1 9 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is no confession, as far as our salvation is concerned, the vertical relationship, can you see Jesus say, or could it be said about Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's like universalism. That God just forgives everybody. Well, he doesn't forgive everybody. We know that from Scripture. God withholds forgiveness when there is no repentance. Matthew chapter 18. Of course, this is the wicked servant, the one who owed $1.25 million as opposed to the other guy. And the other guy, he owed a little bit, about four months' wages. He owned, he owed about seven dollars to $10,000 or $11,000 in ours. Uh, current money today. So if somebody came to you and said, you owe me $1.25 million and you make whatever you make a day, you know, one to $400 or whatever it is, you know, a day, how long would it take you to pay back $1.25 million? You're going to die before you can pay it back. It's not going to happen. And that's the point of the passage. God is using hyperbole here to describe how much we are indebted to God for our sin, but yet we will not turn to a brother who owes us something, maybe four months' wages worth as comparison, and we say, no, I'm not going to do that, and you throw that person into prison, I'm not going to forgive you, and you're going to pay me back every last cent, that type of thing. We are supposed to forgive. And matter of fact, this first, guy, this first person here that owned $1.25 million in Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35, the reason he was forgiven is because in the text it says in verse 32, because you begged me to. And so he asked, he made the request. So, so far we have four or three verses and four times it's mentioned that there must be repentance before forgiveness is given. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. In this particular case, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 2, it says, do you think, Jesus is speaking here, do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way, because it was Pilate who mixed the blood, their blood with a sacrifice? And Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So in order not to perish, we have to repent. And he repeats it again. He says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six different times in one, two, three, four different passages that forgiveness is contingent upon repentance. Now that's the vertical, but it also talks about the horizontal. But forgiveness is never unilateral. What that means is Jesus never turns to us as far as our salvation is concerned and says, I just forgive you. We have to go to him and say, will you forgive me? It is not a one-way street. It is not just a a single direction. Forgiveness is a two-way street. We must go to God. God comes to us and gives us the forgiveness that we request. And so this idea that somebody might say, or there could be a case uh, that some might make, that Luke chapter 23, verse 34, remember Jesus was on the cross, and as they're parting his garments, what does he say about those people who are parting the garments? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It seems to be a unilateral move, that forgiveness is going to be, though given to those who crucify him and part his garments. 
The thing that he was doing there was fulfilling scripture when he prayed this. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, it says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So he started praying for them in fulfillment of prophecy, and he was practicing what he taught. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, actually, yeah, 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, it also begs the question, well, if Jesus said, Father, forgive them for what they're doing, does that mean they went to heaven? Based on the rest of Scripture, absolutely not. Well, what is he praying for there exactly? Well, sometimes these things get are unclear, but it could definitely be that when it comes to the judgment, that particular act will not be held against them because the Son interceded. Because the Son always prays according to the will of the Father. That could be the case, but salvation does not come when Jesus says, Father, just forgive this person here, or forgive that person here, and let them into the kingdom. Jesus would never pray that because it's made clear that he died to give us his salvation that we must ask for, but we have to ask for it. And so Jesus was practicing what he taught, and Jesus also was simply fulfilling scripture. And I suppose a possible case could be made that repentance is never mentioned a couple of times in scripture where it says just forgive. For instance, these scriptures I've already given you, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. The other verse would be Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. There is no condition listed here about repentance. It just says, Forgive each other, right? When you see that, if somebody happens to make the argument and says, see, there's no repentance required for that forgiveness because it's not listed there in Scripture. Let me ask you this. If somebody came to you and said, I don't know how to get saved. How do I get saved? What would you tell them? What verse would you give them? Now, the men's group on Thursday, we've been talking about this. How would you tell somebody to get saved? One way is Acts chapter 30, or excuse me, Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. In there, it's the Philippian jailer. There's an earthquake. The, the doors fly open, and the Philippian jailer was going to kill himself because if the Roman soldier allowed a prisoner to get away, they were to be killed in lieu of that person that got away. And so he was going to kill himself, and he was told, don't do this. And so the Philippian jailer ran in and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what was the response he gave him? Believe. There's no repentance there. It just says believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, both you and your household. Well, why isn't repentance there? And you go to Peter. Peter, in the book of Acts, chapter, I think it's 2, verse 38. What does Peter say is the condition for being saved? He says, repent and be baptized. There is no belief. 
It just says, repent and be baptized. Repent of what? Well, it's this idea of change of mind. So this idea of belief is there. Well, what about Romans 10, 9, and 10? Confess. Well, but in repentance, there's no confession in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. You see how there's confession, there's repentance, there's the seeking after of forgiveness, there's the belief, but there are separate verses that do not have each one of those things that require salvation. If an individual comes along and tries to make an argument, it's not listed in there in that particular section. It doesn't say repent as a condition of forgiveness. It just tells you to forgive. You have to take the whole of Scripture. Because something is absent doesn't mean it's that it gives you the liberty to interpret the Scripture differently than the whole of scripture when somebody does this this is called an argumentum ex silentio it's an argument from silence it's when there's something in scripture that is not listed in a particular verse an individual takes that verse and says see it's not there like repentance is not there when it says forgive it doesn't mean that it's not elsewhere in scripture just like salvation one place it says that we have to repent another one says get baptized another one says confess another one says believe and they're all separate you have to put them together. That is the proper way to interpret Scripture. And then you look at the syntax and how it's used inside the context and all of that. But it is simply presented to us in the whole of Scripture that whether it's vertical between us and God that we have to go to them or horizontal. Both cases, I've given you several verses where it says, if he repents, forgive him. Or if we want to be saved, we must repent. So this idea of forgiveness requires repentance. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now going on with this, how do we apply this? I'm looking at my time here. This idea of unforgiveness. It can also be said that in these places where forgiveness is talked about that if you take the whole of scripture and you look at it if the forgiveness is talked about and the repentance is not there unforgiveness was rampant in the new testament times with jesus in uh, the book of second timothy it talks about in the last days there will be those who will not forgive or there will be unforgiveness that is there well this was the case during the time of jesus as well in matthew chapter 18 verses 32 through 34 you know where it talked there about that wicked servant the one that owned 1.25 million dollars uh, as opposed to the one who owed seven to eleven thousand dollars it is explicit there that he should have forgiven the servant who owed only a little in other words jesus is making it very clear it's right in front of us unforgiveness was a problem back then and there you start doing a study on that unforgiveness and it was everywhere uh you know forgiving my brother who do i do i need to forgive like peter asked the question how many times do i forgive him well implied there is is there a time where I don't have to forgive them, where I can exercise unforgiveness? And Jesus says, no, 
You can't. You have to forgive every single time. And if the person is agreeable and it all works out, it's just wonderful. But this wicked servant was in unforgiveness, and that's what he was condemned for. He was condemned for the lack of forgiveness that he was willing to extend. And so back then, people would just walk around, and they would be bitter on the inside, and you, and and they would be accusatory. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, I believe Paul wrote, and then Luke probably uh, re-copied uh, what Paul wrote for the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, he gives a warning to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews foresee, uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words, what was the problem? There were bitter roots growing up everywhere and they were defiling many because there's, there was this lack of forgiveness, this unforgiving spirit that was there. And so we are always supposed to forgive when the opportunity presents itself or when we make the opportunity. We never want to say, forget it. I'm not talking to you. We are done. I hope I never see you for the rest of my life or your life. And I hope yours ends sooner. You know, that type of thing where you just, you're just so angry over what has been done. And there's no question when there is an injustice, and you can think of a type of injustice that would just set you off, that would just, there's no excuse for it whatsoever. And you can start to just build up this knot, this rock of a heart. And you go, I'm never doing anything for you. And what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What are you asking me to do? Are you kidding me? I'm not forgiving. You know, it's easy to forgive somebody who's been a lifelong friend. Right? Ah, you dummy. You know, we can use the vernacular of our day. you idiot. But if you do that, then you're in danger of judgment and hellfire, remember? So you don't want to say, you numbskull, you idiot, you idiot, that type of thing. You, you just shake your head and you say, why did you do that? You know, and they'll, and they explain back why they did it and go, don't ever do it again. You just make me mad, you know. And that just goes back and forth. And you say, okay, I forgive you. No, get over here. And you give it a little noogie on the head. And, and you go on and things are fine. But what about an enemy? What about somebody who has just become your adversary? And you say, I'm never forgiven you. You have really caused me a lot of trouble in this life. You've made it difficult for me. And what does Jesus say to do? Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. I mean, somebody in the world would just go, no, I'm not doing you. No way. It ain't happening in my life. And so Jesus says we are to be different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world, unforgiveness is commonplace. This idea of payback, it is everywhere. Leave room for the Lord's vengeance. If somebody does you wrong, and you want to pay them back? Oh, and I think, it, in my flesh, I think about ways. You know, I, I can't help it. I just start going down this road. If somebody has wronged me, I go, oh, what could I do? Oh, this way. And I get so much satisfaction that I have to stop myself. Stop it! You know, and I have this fight going back and forth. And, and I, I have to stop. I can't do that. And I could so easily just let my heart just run away. And get in this idea of 
bitterness and sanctimonious thinking that I'm better and they are worse. And the reason we're supposed to forgive is, again, Matthew chapter 18, because we have been forgiven such a great debt. And the others that offend us or sin against us, their debt is small by comparison. It's hardly noticeable. It is negligible. And so God wants us to forgive. So putting this into practice, is it difficulty? Or is it difficult? Yes. Because forgiveness requires sincerity. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. This is talking about masters and slaves at the time. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. In other words, what does that mean? From your heart. Working for them from your heart. That means wholeheartedly. In verse 7 it says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And Matthew 18.35 says, This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Which means you're sincerely going to the individual when forgiveness needs to be given and received and you're saying, I will forgive you no matter how great the offense. Although I could defer to unforgiveness, I will be sincere in my pursuit of forgiveness. I will, from my heart, be pure like God is pure. So the application of this, the application of forgiveness is, it is impossible to have salvation without forgiveness. Secondly, it is impossible to have forgiveness without confession and repentance. That is both vertical with us and God and horizontal. There must be a meeting Both Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 says you must get together personally, face-to-face, not by letter, not by text, and you must have a conversation and seek to restore the relationship. God does not want the church to tolerate unforgiveness. He does not want us to worship until we have made an attempt to reconcile. So what happens when forgiveness cannot be extended or received. You've gone to the person and you said, you know, we need to talk about this. And the person says, no, what do you do? The world would say, just forgive them. Matthew 18, it's a judicial act. You cannot just forgive them. There is a law of forgiveness, so to speak. This is how it's supposed to take place. Well, what if it can't happen? What do you do? How do you deal with that? Because there's going to be pain, separation, grief, turmoil, stain, a scar. All of these things are going to affect us maybe physically, psychologically. We're going to be just in turmoil if it can't happen. You know, hardship brings us to maturity. And those things that we have to deal with, like Jesus, how many times... Did Jesus, or has he, extended forgiveness, say, I want you to have me forgive you? How many times has he done that over the centuries? Billions of times. For every person that has ever existed, God has given them the opportunity for salvation. What have most said? I will have nothing to do with you. Forget it. I 
I don't want anything to do with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Forget it. Jesus went so far as to die to make sure it happened. And they still will not receive the forgiveness. It's like trampling the Son of God underfoot, as the book of Hebrews says. What is God the Father going to do as a result of this? Especially when he sent all these prophets, and they killed all the prophets, and they still would not repent. God says, especially in the book of Thessalonians, because of this, the wrath of God is coming. Because something so precious was offered to us, and we would not take it. Jesus has been rebuffed billions of times. How does he deal with it? Mercy. He even overlooks. Does God cause the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike? He does. He blesses those who are completely wicked. And then you see the wicked prospering. They become millionaires and billionaires. And you're just struggling. God, I worship you all the time and I can't even have lunch at McDonald's. I don't have any money, you know. And and you're going, why, God? Why does this person prosper and they're so wicked and I don't? God's showing them mercy. He's just blessing them when they don't even deserve it. He's giving them unmerited favor. And you might say, well, why doesn't he give that to me? Don't worry. You're going to own the whole universe. You're going to sit on God's throne with him. But it's so hard to go through all of this, the pain, the suffering, the scars, the dealing with it. I'm depressed. Why would we be depressed when we know what is awaiting us in heaven? And it's hard here. Jesus says, we're to take up our cross daily. What does that mean? We're to die. We're to take our own desires to feel bad for ourselves and crucify them and do the Lord's work. And when we focus on ourselves, why we have so many problems when we focus on ourselves? Focus on Jesus Christ and him alone. What did Paul say? I desire to know Christ and what? Him being happy. Christ and him crucified. What is that? Christ and him suffering. Why did he have to suffer? Because of the sin in the world. How bad is sin? Sin is so bad it causes everybody to go to hell unless they receive the forgiveness God has to offer. So you see how all this works? Now, why is all this so important? Why can't we just walk through life going, just forgive them or tolerate them? Why can't we do that? Because we're not even allowed to worship or be in church if we don't deal with forgiveness. That's what God says. That's how important it is. It is a 10 on the scale from 1 to 10. My prayer for all of us in here is that we are willing to forgive, and that's a key. We have to do it from the heart. If forgiveness is not extended to us or we go to somebody and they will not reconcile with us, we carry that sorrow. We are defined by the scars in our lives. We know that Scripture tells us, James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This idea of being pain-free in life, and that's what we seek, don't we? I take turmeric and glucosamine and chondroitin, and because why? I have pain And I don't want the pain. I can alleviate the pain. And whenever you can alleviate the pain, do it. But when you can't, what do you do? 
break down and crumble? No. You turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need help with this pain. And he goes, I understand. I will help you with this pain. But it will define us. When you look at Jesus, what defines him? The holes in his hands and in his feet and in his side. Those are the things that define him. And so when we want to seek to get out of pain, pain is not the problem. Pain is, for the most part, it's temporary. It doesn't last forever. The thing that will cause us a lifelong bout of bitterness is pleasure. Pleasure that is unfulfilling, and all pleasure is ultimately unfulfilling, will leave us empty on the inside. The drug abuser who seeks pleasure out of drugs, what happens? Ruins their life. Can be a lifelong of suffering and pain. What about the person who seeks to have several different physical relationships with several different people? What are they looking for? They're looking for fulfillment and they never receive it. It never comes to fruition. And so they live in this world of pain. And it is bitterness. It is hard. It is difficult. Where the physical pain or emotional pain we may suffer, we know it's temporary. So the pursuit of pleasure, always feeling good, always feeling happy. It is more blessed to go up to the house of the partying or the house of those who mourn. It's better to go up to the house of those who mourn. A broken and contrite heart God does not despise. Now, is this contrary to the world? Absolutely. You will not hear this in a Tony Robbins positive thinking seminar. It won't happen. But this is what Scripture says. You know, Scripture, you read through it as weep, mourn, and wail. And it just got, you go, wait a second. But God wants me filled with joy. Yes, for the joy set before him, it was ahead of him. It was the bride of Christ. We look to God in heaven and we have joy. And that's great. So my prayer for all of us, may we be able to endure the way Jesus endured the pain. And he will provide for us help in order to do that if we rely on him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. At this time, what we're going to do is we're going to receive communion. And as you're taking the communion, if you know that there's an issue that you have to deal with, I would say just deal with it. And if you need to confess something before the Lord, you just ask him, Father, as this is being passed out, forgive me for this. And he's faithful and just. And if there's somebody you need to go talk to, Hey, go talk to them. Work it out. God says this is important on a scale from 1 to 10. So if the worship team could come up and we're going to play a song. And as we're playing the song, uh, if you need to say a few prayers and say, Jesus, please forgive me, you go ahead and do that at that time. And if we could have the people come forward and we'll pass this bread and cup out.